there's a major faux pas in DJ. I'm so embarrassed of me even telling this story, okay? So disclaimer, this is the most embarrassing story in my career. They've been a music producer for over 20 years and a DJ for over 10. They make music with ambitious kickstarters and insane concepts. You may know them from their song, Mute City. Please welcome Down Upright to the podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me, Heroic. Yeah, no problem. So just kind of first question to get the ball rolling. What was your first experience with music like or what made you, you know, start making music? Wow, uh, that's a great question. My first experience with music came when I was about 10 years old. I was screwing around. Um, so I'm almost 40. Um, so at the time, it was like 1994, and I was goofing around with Microsoft MIDI Studio on a Windows 93 PC. Uh, That's just, a throwback. Yeah, Microsoft MIDI Studio, manually placing quarter notes and eighth notes and stuff. Um, and from there, as a young preteen, I taught myself music theory and uh, started making MIDI beats um, before... Uh, my 13th birthday, when my father gifted me with a copy of what was at the time, Cakewalk Professional 8, um, which was an actual DAW, digital audio workstation. Mm -hmm. um, so then I started working with sampling and uh, I learned how to use Propellerhead Reason, uh, eventually upgraded to Ableton Live um, and never stopped making music since. It's been my lifelong hobby. Yeah. So it seems like you definitely have a wide, you know, range of experience with all these different DAWs. What do, do you still try to, you know, branch out, try different DAWs now and then, or have you kind of found one that you like and stick to most of the time? I think I've really coalesced onto Ableton Live. Um, <clears throat> it's uh, it's probably the industry standard right now, either that or Pro Tools, and yeah. it really does it all. Um, it meets all my needs and I'm a, if it ain't broke, don't fix it kind of person. Yeah. So, you know, a, like, I guess Ableton Live, cause a lot of people, you know, come into music, they're kind of confused with all these uh, options they have, you know, a lot of people just have GarageBand start, but you know, then you can go into Logic, Pro Tool. Do you think Ableton Live would be like some sort of like the DAW to get to start music production? It's the one I would recommend to anybody who's looking to get into it is um, definitely Ableton Live. Uh, if you can afford it, the the suite or studio version with all the plugins, because they have great plugins. Um, now, mm -hmm. I might be someone who's really locked in on one DAW, but when it comes to synthesizers and effects, that's a different story, because I'm always looking for new synths and new effects. Yeah. Um, and where do you find those um, so I was on Serum for a pretty long time, but recently got into Phase Point, which I'm having a ton of fun with. Mm -hmm. So, you know, going back to sort of your roots, how you got started, um, growing up, was there anything else you thought you might want to do other than music or has it kind of been music from the start since you were on that Microsoft mini software? Um, I knew I wanted to be a musician and a computer programmer. and I am probably a weird case in that I lived both of my childhood dreams. So um, I am a uh, marginally profitable musician 
and um, a decent computer programmer. Yeah. And uh, so what, I guess, I guess what tips or advice would you give to someone else just starting to make music? You know, they want to, they want to follow their dream of becoming a musician. They want to make music for a living. What uh, sort of advice would you give them? I have two contradictory pieces of advice that say opposite things, but I'd like you to split the difference and find the middle ground. All the right. first one is your first work is not going to be your best. You're going to learn something with every new track you make. And if you're anything like me, even 30 years into this hobby, each track I make puts the previous track to shame. Um, everything I do, I'm looking back at the last thing I did and being like, oh, how naive Bill Bolden of two weeks ago was. They, they didn't mix right at all. I know so they much more than him. Craft. What? You're, you're looking back on two weeks ago being like, oh, I know so much more than that now. Yes, exactly. Um, but my other piece of advice is uh, perfection is elusive. And um, I've been at this 30 years and I am far from perfect. So don't wait too long. At some point, you have to get something out there. So don't release the first thing you make. But maybe by the time you're making thing number nine or 10, you're like, this time I'm onto something. This, this one's the one. Then get it out there. Get a distro kit or a CD Baby account. Release it. There's nothing wrong with that. And so I guess after that, once, once you sort of started your career, started releasing music, how did you come up with the name Down Upright to go by? How did you come up with that stage name? So... Um, I was, uh, for the first 20 years of my career, I was uh, Spruik, which was a joke name. It was a name that came out of a bet with a friend. And uh, I just went by that. And I, I wished I had it for the longest time because people are like, Spruik, like puke? Like, what is it? And, and it's, it was not a good or durable name. Um, then in 2020, I attended production school and really next leveled my career. And I thought, okay, I've been looking to be a serious artist with a serious name for a really long time. Plus I wanted to put some distance between my earlier work as Spruik, which I was no longer proud of. Um, and so it was time to rebrand. And I wanted something that would cover the fact that I would make lots of video game remixes and, uh, and also sound, you know, EDM-y. And finally it contains a hidden reference to um, my battles with like depression, anxiety, and bipolar. Like I'm always up or down, you know, I'm down, yeah. I'm up, I'm right. I'm in every different direction. And so it's like that, but it also sounds like a cheat code. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome that you found a way to combine so many different aspects into one sort of name, one thing. So, you know, a lot of artists kind of come out about this, talking about their struggles with all these uh, mental problems that you mentioned, this depression, anxiety, what sort of, I guess, how has that affected you and how have you seen, you know, improvement or betterment of that through music? Um, I would say music is the main way besides therapy. There is no substitute for therapy. Men go to therapy. Um, there's, uh, music is the main way I treat my condition by taking these things that are trapped inside me and creating art out of them so I can share it with the world. So when I'm in a really bad place, you know, when I'm in like a, a nasty place and there's just no joy in the world, I find it in me to make a song like All My Dreams Are Nightmares 
conflict or cope or um, crisis. And those tracks become these shining little bricks of how I felt on that day. And then because of that, I can take that out of me and put it on the shelf and be like, there it is. There's that feeling. It's on the shelf now. It doesn't have to live inside me anymore. It's packaged away in this somewhere. Mm -hmm. And I really feel when I release the song, like the feeling leaves me and goes to live somewhere else. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, and so, I, yeah, and that's that's awesome. And I think you mentioned, you said bipolar also, right, in there? Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, I guess, have you found, you know, those sort of mood changes, like, I guess, or those feelings affecting, like, when you're trying to make music or when you're trying to make a song? Like, do you find yourself sort of, you know, one day you like something you're bringing, the other, like, you're kind of upset that you can't find just the right, like, how has bipolar specifically affected your music career? Um, well, the, the big problem with bipolar is not the depressive phases, which I kind of have a pretty good handle on, like, drink water, remember to exercise, get out of bed, do your stuff. Um, it's, it's the manic phases where I'll have so much energy, I'll have a lot of ideas for concept albums, and I actually tell myself, the number one rule of when I recognize I'm manic is no launching Kickstarters allowed. No, no, um, because I have a thing for ambitious Kickstarters, and yeah. I am not going to go into a manic phase, have this brilliant idea for the new album that's a uh, hundred songs about um, the bottom of the ocean or something and, and be like, Ooh, coral reef back it now. Um, and then collapse and go into a depressive phase and not be able to follow through. So I have a really regimented routine where I have to be working on something consistently for six months without interruption before I'll consider making it one of my Kickstarters. That way mm -hmm. I know it's real. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's awesome that you found, you know, a way to sort of, you know, can I don't want to say control yourself, but like you 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 understand how you work. You you know what to do. You know how to you know prevent you know mistakes or failure or maybe not prevent, but you know lessen the chances of it. And so you kind of mentioned that these kickstarters that you do. I wanted to get into that. So your first project. Music to Die Alone in Space 2. You started that on Kickstarter. Tell me about what that concept was, how you went through with it, all that. So that was a concept album that tells the story of an astronaut who has become unmoored from their spaceship and is drifting until they run out of oxygen and suffocate. And I actually wrote that from a place of coming from a fear of asphyxiation, of not being able to breathe. Um, so I wrote this album about that, but the Kickstarter element had a weird twist. So I would re-record the album in its entirety for every individual backer. So each person who bought this album at over $50 a copy would get me starting the album over, recording the whole thing again, and then giving them their own individual copy which has its own mistakes, its own happy accidents, its own sounds. And then that's something they own. You know, people are like, 
trying to find a way to bring ownership back into music and vinyl is one way to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, Vinyl in particular, because it gives you something you can hold. And I wanted another way where it's like, well, this is my copy of the album and no one can ever take that away from me. Yeah, that's awesome. And that's such a wild concept. I can't even begin to imagine, you know, recording that for every single person that bought it. How, like, I guess, once you came up with that concept, how long was the process of like starting the Kickstarter to, you know, sending out that last album? About 18 months it took me to record 310 copies of the album. Yeah, that's insane. But to me, that's the magic of being an indie musician is that Mm -hmm. as an indie musician, you can do stunts like this. Whereas like, this is You can find your own sort of like, creative release process you can do whatever you want with the release rather than you know just the sort of like teaser here's the art and then release it and go on tour right and it actually helps that i'm small to mid-size because Mm -hmm. if i wasn't small to mid-size i'd never be able to do this like maroon five couldn't have made this album yeah right they'd sell a quarter million copies they'd still be recording them today yeah and and so and then after that your next project um was called pieces right on kickstarter yep what sort of was the story behind that how'd you start it um tell us about that one too so that one is a story of a of a post-apocalyptic world that's been destroyed and it was an experiment in something i wanted to try called distributed storytelling where I wrote out a really long story and hired voice actors to act it out and then released it over ambient albums in random snippets. So if you bought a copy of this album, you got a copy of all the ambient music, but the story that was laid over it of the voice actors talking and telling the story of what had gone wrong, why is the world destroyed? those were randomly selected and they were run through all these effects. They sounded like old cassettes, like how in video games you find those pieces of found audio. Um, And they were scrambled and there was parts in Morse code and stuff. And the hope would be that it would form sort of an alternate reality game where people could try to put together the story of like, oh, on my copy, I have a key clue. My copy says X. And, you know, uh, I learned something with that one, which I think was that I was a little too ambitious because it funded, it it did fund and I did make it, but um, I didn't find that the alternate reality game element of it had the hook I'd hoped for. And so um, I think that maybe there was just one too many variables there. So you you just couldn't find like the community aspect of like people communicating communicating about what pieces they had or what right uh, that's what i was really hoping for was that um 200 different people would come together and solve the mystery Mm -hmm. and uh in reality everybody just kind of kept their own copies and kept them for themselves yeah so i was um i i'm you know not too proud to admit when i was wrong i still think it was a really cool project, but if I could do it all over again, I would really play up the community aspect again this time around. Mm-hmm. 
Are you a music artist trying to find a way to get your music on as many streaming platforms as possible? Then check out DistroKid. DistroKid is a super user-friendly and super easy-to-use service that will make your music available in stores like Spotify, Apple Music, iTunes, Amazon Music, YouTube, Snapchat, everything. Everything you could imagine is available. People will even be able to add your songs into their Instagram stories. DistroKid helps you with the distribution, monetization, and promotion of all of your music. Use the link in the description of this video for 7% off any DistroKid package you want. Pick from musician packages designed to help artists get their own music out there, or even get a label package where you can manage up to 100 artists from one profile. So that's more for like managers, labels, and you can also get the musician package that I mentioned earlier, which is more for artists, producers, things like that. It's super easy, and you can get 7% off any package right now with the link in the description of this video. So once again, if you're looking for a way to get your music on as many streaming platforms as possible, I'm talking any platform you can think of, get DistroKid and get 7% off right now with the link in the description back to the program so with the kickstarters and also your released music a lot of your music seems very you know it it has a concept behind it or is you know very good for like listening to like digitally like having digital ownership of how does that how does that if it at all translates to you know a live setting have you ever played any of your original music live um what's that like so i have been a dj for over 10 years but when i dj i do not play my own music um that's not true i have a couple tracks i sneak in like when i'm doing an edm set i'll play a couple of my own tracks and they go over well um but i've always believed that being a dj it's about how much you love other people's music being a dj is all about a deep care for the music of others and um it's really a time to let other people shine it's not a time to show off and play yourself i think unless you're like a headliner in which case yeah. people want to hear your hit singles but i've never been a headliner i'm always an opener and you know my job is warm up the crowd um i was the house dj at the casino for three years yeah. um they're not there for you. They're there to have a good time. Enable that. And I, I think that's cool that you sort of, you know, separate like, okay, when I'm producing and have the production side, that's for me, that's my stuff. But being a DJ, you want to, you know, think about the crowds, think about other people, highlight, or I guess like use other, you know, artists, use their music. And I think it's awesome that you kind of get best of both worlds almost in that yeah and and so was there ever a moment for either the producing or djing was there ever a moment that kind of made you you know second guess it or where you thought you wouldn't like want to do it anymore wouldn't uh be able to make it anything like that well there's a reason i was only the house dj at the casino for three years i definitely had a last night um Mm -hmm. they were very I mean, they were a great employer in a lot of ways because they paid you promptly. 
And when you play a lot of bars, you sort of get used to like arguing with drunk bar owners at the end of the night. Um, yeah. You know, like there was a hundred people here. No, there weren't. There was like 20 people here. I'm not paying you, et cetera. Um, that's kind of how it goes at bars and clubs. Um, the, the casino, they pay you promptly as you exit. Um, it was always very nice, but they also have a lot of rules and a lot of micromanaging. And um, there was one time where they got me to commit a faux pas that I wasn't willing to commit, which was the, there's a major faux pas in DJ. I'm so embarrassed of even telling this story, okay? So disclaimer, this is the most embarrassing story of my career. Yeah, it's all good. There's a major faux pas that you don't play one of your headliners tracks. And um, I was opening for someone and the manager came over and said, get the crowd hyped for the headliner, play their one song. And I said, I can't do that. That's the major faux pas. And the guy was like, well, I'm sort of your boss and your employer and I'm telling you to, so just do it. So I did and it went over like a lead balloon and everybody wondered what the hell was going on. And I was like, I, you know what? I, I'm not. That's sort of the moment that you were like, you know, this is it. I, yeah, like I don't have to get up here and, and do this anymore. And so I didn't. Mm -hmm. And, you know, how did, I guess two things, sort of two questions. One, how did that feel, I guess, being like, sort of, sort of like forced into something you didn't want to do that you didn't think was right. And then second you know like making the decision to sort of step away from that and know that you wouldn't be coming back to that yeah it felt like the closing of a chapter and a lot of people were really sad because um i'm known as a pretty entertaining dj like i have a lot of stage presence and i really get hyped um and they were like oh you're so good at it though um as a matter of fact i dj'd my best friend's wedding just this previous saturday Congratulations, oh, really? Taylor and John. Um, I DJed their wedding, and uh, my my mom came up to me at the end of the night, and she's like, "I'm so sad you stopped DJing. You're so good at it. Everyone had such a good time. You should start again." And it's like, well, you know, I'm a little older now. Um, I can't stay up till four a.m. on the weekends. Yeah. I still work my yeah. day job as a programmer. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely takes a toll on you and so yeah um, and you know this sort of design and this sort of creativity you have with all your concept albums and your your music in general and sort of even even the DJing side you know creating these sets is there anyone that sort of instilled that in you and so that creativity or is it something you just kind of found on your own I think the hard thing about naming references is that we're all a blender of everything that's ever been poured into us. And so it's like, where do I start? So I can tell you who I listen to the most. Um, I'm heavily influenced personally by VNV Nation. um, And I listen to a lot of Radiohead and Nine Inch Nails. I've always loved The Faint. And The Faint was a major inspiration for the way I like to mix my vocals on the rare occasions I sing, because on some of my tracks I sing, on some I don't. When I do, I try to sound like the faint. 
So big ups to Todd Fink for being like a role model for me with my voice. Um, but uh, as far as influences go, especially with my new Kickstarter that launches tomorrow, um, I'm really all over the place. I, I will make anything. I, I don't mm. try to hone in on this one sound and be like, ooh, that's the only kind of music down upright yeah. makes. Like I go where it takes me. Yeah, you're you're okay with branching out, trying new things and whatnot. Yep. And and so you you mentioned it there. I want to get into this uh this Kickstarter you have coming up. You gave me a little sneak peek of it, and it seems like an awesome concept. Seems like a a great idea. Um, have you sort of released? I guess what the name is, or is it fine if I say the name on here? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So. We're doomed. We're dancing. What? Tell us about the idea behind that. Cause it's it's. I think you even said your sort of biggest, craziest idea yet, and it definitely seems something interesting, uh, and definitely seems like something people are gonna want to listen to. So, tell us about that. So, um, it is sixty minutes of sixty sixty second tracks that tr- change genre and vocalist every 60 seconds and the whole thing is made with audience participation so the audience is voting in polls and surveys on what direction it heads next so i've got about half the album done and it's been a lot of fun working on these 60 second tracks and listening to it is like it's all through mixed into one continuous party mix listening to it is like you're listening and it's a classic rock song and all of a sudden, it went, it went, it went. now it's a house song. And then all of a sudden, you know, and there's a new vocalist and you're listening yeah. to house for 60 seconds. It went, it went, it went. Now it's reggaeton. Um, and the, the effect is like nothing else I've ever heard. It's like one giant party because it's just yeah. always changing. Yeah, and it, that, you know, just even the concept itself seems awesome. I'm sure once the full 60 minutes is out and released, that'll be amazing (laughs) yeah and And, uh, you know you you definitely seem to embrace you know how like a lot of resources that people have in the music world today you're using these kickstarter albums as a way to sort of create something unique you're using you know a lot of you know a lot of people now use a ton of like social platforms and whatnot to promote themselves and their music what do you sort of think of that you know advancing keeping up with the times using technology and social media to help grow you as an artist grow your music yeah um i'm of two minds about social so like earlier in my life i was kind of i was kind of sick from social media like i was especially on on facebook and twitter and um it played into the worst of my anxiety and bipolar it was not a healthy place for me to be. And I had to step back and take a, a break from social media for a while. Now I'm on in a very measured fashion where I only ever talk about my work as a CTO or my work, like I, I dropped a new single. Um, all the other games are sort of too dangerous for someone like me to play. Um, yeah. And I this is something that holds me back as an artist, but I'm going to be completely honest. I have been warned not to use TikTok 
because it is apparently very bad for people with ADHD and anxiety. Like, uh, mm-hmm. apparently it's not a good match if you have ADHD to be on TikTok. Um, yeah, I can definitely so see I'm that. off it for my own mental health. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's, yeah, I, TikTok especially is dangerous. I can see for anyone. I'm, and I'm sure it just even worsens when, you know, you have ADHD, all these things, anxiety, because I think platforms usually over time as they sort of come into the public eye and when I take shape as like what kind of platform there are and how their users interact and use it. And I think while TikTok definitely has some community aspect and some promotion, I do even myself personally see that a lot of the time is is can be very, you know, toxic and negative putting people down. And so I'm sure that crazy, you know, blend of, of like you're seeing something super positive one minute and you literally swipe up and it's just a comment section full of negativity can be crazy and so and yeah part of um part of the concept for we're doomed we're dancing actually comes from tiktok and reels where i'm experimenting with the idea of limiting all these tracks to 60 seconds each because that makes it perfect for like a reel or a tiktok because i was sort of imagining like why are songs still three and a half minutes long when they're put over a video that can only ever use one minute that's all yeah. you can use is one minute. And usually not even that, 15 seconds, 30 seconds. And so I sort of realized, like, what if we just made the songs 60 seconds to begin with? Um, yeah. You'd say everything you needed to say for a TikTok in one track. Yeah. And, and so I guess with that, when, when you're making these 60-second 60, 60 tracks, uh, you're clearly very set on keeping it like that but have you for for whatever parts of it you've already made has there been a part that you kind of wish you could work more on or wish you could make into like a full-length song yes there's there's one that is like the one that got away where yeah. i made it and i'm like it is a shame that this is a 60 second track this of all the songs deserves to be a full four minute symphony and um to me i view that as kind of beautiful in a way like nope it has to pay the same price as all the other tracks it only gets to be that long and if it leaves you wanting more then it leaves you wanting more and if it leaves you wanting more go support the kickstarter and listening to the whole 60 minutes yeah (laughs) this episode of the podcast is brought to you by w energy W Energy is an energy drink you mix at home from a tub. It helps you focus. It helps you concentrate. It helps you win. W is a lot like these other energy drink mix companies you see, but it's better. They have better flavors. They have better taste. They have better products. You can get Dragonade. You can get Galaxy Grenade. You can get Dub Sludge and so many more great flavors like Beach and Peach. Once you have the powder to make one of these flavors, you can also get one of W's own shaker cups to make your drinks at home. If energy drinks aren't your thing, no worries. You can get products like stickers and clothing that look awesome. 
If you just want to try out Dubby, you can go ahead and get one of their starter packs. It comes with a shaker cup and three flavors. On top of that, any products you get on any order from Dubby, you can save 10% by using my discount code HEROIC. That's just my name, HEROIC, in all caps. One more time, that's code HEROIC at W.GG for 10% off any order. Go focus, go concentrate, go in, be better, Dubby. All these big ideas you have on these crazy Kickstarters, how do you sort of start the process of thinking of one of these, of knowing what you want your next project to be? What's that process sort of like? Well, so like I said, there's the mandatory six-month waiting period to make sure I'm not just following through on a manic stunt. But um, I would say that what I'm looking for, okay, so every day, over 60,000 tracks are uploaded to Spotify. Mm -hmm. If all you're making is a piece of music, especially as a small indie creator, it's really hard to stand out. You're just another sound in a sea of 60,000 sounds. And so um, the question becomes, how do you create an experience that's bigger than, than the music? Something that's bigger than just three and a half minutes on Spotify. And that's storytelling in music, sort of. Right. So music to die alone in space too was a story, and you got your own copy. Pieces was an experiment with distributed storytelling, where you could try to reverse engineer the mystery with your own copy. We're doomed, we're dancing. You're going to get to be part of the audience participation and vote on what genre I do next and vote and say, okay, after you do that hip hop song, the next song is death metal. Good luck with that, Bill. And it'll be my job as a DJ to make it all work. Mm -hmm. um, so in each case, I'm creating something that's bigger than the song. And I'm going to keep coming up with ideas like that and doing Kickstarters for things that are bigger than the song. Yeah. And, and I, I think that's awesome. I think you're definitely right that, you know, if you're just putting out music or a song that is just that, a song, you're going to get sort of lost in how, you know, oversaturated the music industry is now. Because, you know, anyone with like a laptop and an internet connection can upload music to Spotify. And so I think it's awesome that you've sort of found a way to innovate or do your own thing when it seems like everything's been done before. And so on on top of all these Kickstarters, you've also made sort of a album about Magic the Gathering. What was that? <laughs> what was the idea behind that? What sort of made you want to do that uh was that sort of a you know combining two of your interests um, yeah um so we're going back to 2010 here so mm -hmm. um different time but i had played magic my whole life um i have the mana symbols tattooed across my chest um it's there was a phase in my 20s where every friend i had every trip i took every connection I made, all the people who I would wind up being a groomsman for, they were all friends I made because of Magic the Gathering. And it mm -hmm. informed every vacation I took was to a large tournament. St to this day, most of the extent to which I've seen the world has been flying to professional tournaments, not, to, um, not for pleasure. Yeah. And um, there was such a rich community 
about it, especially like pre-COVID and stuff, because COVID really shut down the whole tournament scene and everything. But there were so many stories to tell that I sent an unsolicited Facebook message to a Magic the Gathering Hall of Famer who asking him if he would collaborate with me on this project. And he said yes, because he was an open-minded and extroverted person. Next thing I knew, he was in my studio recording. And we managed to put together, um, I think, 15 songs all about different elements of the game we loved. Now, my production game has come a long way in the last 12 years. And there's a lot of mixing decisions I wish I could take back. But I am still very proud of some contributions I made to Magic the Gathering culture because there are still a couple songs on that album that people still quote at me when I'm out playing Magic in the Wild. And they're like, oh, it's just like your one song. Yeah. And it was cool to have that for that community. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah, no, that's definitely awesome. As, you know, I, I've sort of fallen out and don't play too much anymore, but I've played Magic in the past, definitely had it as part of my life for a couple of years. And so just even the fact that you said you had all the mana set symbols tattooed on you is awesome for me. And that's just, seems like you know that and that seems like a tattoo that i wouldn't question anyone for having that's an awesome tattoo awesome design and so so i didn't even really know that about you that you're a pro magic player that you or i guess that you went to all these tournaments how do you sort of balance that with everything else that you do all your djing and producing um well they didn't overlap Magic the Gathering was my 20s. DJing was the first half of my 30s. Um, and then Kickstarters have been the second half of my 30s. Um, but, I mean, I don't, if you can see the monitor behind me, that's Magic the Gathering Arena up on the screen. After I get off this podcast, I'm probably going to play a few matches in Magic the Gathering Arena. It's still yeah. a major hobby. I just don't play in person like I used to because I haven't gotten back into it since the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And and so, yeah. So that's that's awesome. And may, maybe it is you know you kind of mentioned it with these Magic the Gathering songs that people quote at you. Is there any songs that you released or any Kickstarters you've done that have performed, you know, better or worse than you sort of believe that it would? Well, Music to Die Alone in Space Two was the big surprise because mm-hmm. I was hoping to sell twenty copies. And I sold 310 and raised $25,000. That was like my first like explosive, like, whoa, I'm onto something. Um, But the Magic the Gathering album also is still my, it's my second best selling album besides Music to Die Alone in Space 2 to this day. And that just goes to show how um, energetic that community was at the time now now there's a lot bigger names making music about magic the gathering like for instance post malone is an outspoken magic the gathering player and um he is unabashed in his love for the game so i'm i can't compete with post malone but it's it's cool that in the day people who were in the fandom knew who spruik was and that they were that guy that raps about magic the gathering yeah and definitely you know i think there's sort of an awesome feeling when you have a feeling like you're a 
you're that guy or you're a big figure in a certain community, a certain realm of any sort. And so, you know, now it's sort of, you know, some more hypothetical, hypothetical, like, you know, uh, dream questions. Like if you had this sort of magic opportunity to make a song with any artist in the world, who, who would it be? And why do you think? Somebody asked me this about a year ago, and um, right now the answer is the aforementioned Post Malone. Not, not, it, it, it was Post Malone even before I knew he played Magic the Gathering. But mm -hmm. he just seems like, I've heard he's a really chill guy, and I adore his voice and the way it's processed. Yeah. I, I think his singing is gorgeous. Um, and uh you know other than that i'm a little leery of answering the question because there's a saying never meet your heroes yeah. and i'd be worried that if i said one of my other heroes like someone who i just adored the music of like i've heard too many stories of people meeting the artists they loved their whole life and then finding out that the guy was kind of a joke yeah yeah and i i think it's nice that a lot of artists now are sort of transparent or authentic with their audiences that and they give them chances to know them like Post Malone, like as, as far as I'm like, I've never met the guy as far as I know, I've never even been like close to the guy even physically, but, um, you know, just I, from his watching his interviews, from his presence, from his music, I can tell he's a, you know, fun guy and chill guy and can get along with almost anyone. And so, uh, apart from that, you know, D when you would DJ and have these, you know, sets, or even recently at your friend's wedding, is there sort of a set, a live set that you've had that's your favorite, you know, that kind of sticks in your mind? Um, not counting the casino, which that was every Friday and Saturday for three years. So a lot of it blends together. But mm -hmm. um, I remember I was doing one of my stream sets once on Twitch. And I decided to try a little stunt called the lightning mix, where I would just came up with the idea and I announced, I'm mm -hmm. going to mix as fast as I can for the next hour. So a song will play, and as soon as I can, I'm going to transition to another song. And I made it through about 75 tracks in one hour. It was just build, drop, build, drop, build, drop, and like crazy. And yeah, that was some of the most fun I've ever had. There was sweat pouring down my face. On I'm sure. That, that seems insane. That seems like, you know, you're constantly trying to think about the next song that you're playing. Was there ever, was, during that, was there ever a moment that you got, like, stressed out? You know, maybe a song was, like, playing for a while and you were trying to think of a transition and couldn't really find one? Or did you find that it went pretty smoothly the whole time? Um, no, it went pretty smoothly. Uh, at the time, I was DJing Big Room and Electro House, and it's really easy to mix Big Room Electro House, so mm -hmm. I wasn't doing challenging mixes. So it was mm -hmm. just a matter of finding the cue points. You weren't getting to the level of we're doomed for dancing. <laughs> no, yeah, where where if I'm, somebody tells me I have to mix a vaporwave track into a drum and bass track, it's my job to figure out how to do it. <laughs> yeah, and and so. You know, it seems like it'd probably be DJing because I, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like you're you don't really have any plans to 
play your own music as an artist or do you want to have sort of a you know live show concert setting for your music I'm, i'm open to the idea like i try to be open to whatever life brings my way like when I randomly wound up recording a Magic the Gathering album with a Hall of Fame player who, who yeah. was one of my personal heroes and still is to this day, um, even though we're like great friends and stuff now, he's, he's just like so great. Um, well, that's, that's probably a great combo to have, you know, friend and life hero. Yeah. Uh, and at the same time, um, if we're doomed, we're dancing, randomly blows up and goes viral and there's demand for a Down Upright tour, I could play that album on tour, and it would be a lot of fun to recreate all the mixes every time. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, if it raises three, $4,000 and a couple dozen people are behind it, then I made something really important to a couple yeah. people. And that's, that's all the reason I need. The, the only reason I'm raising money for it is is not to get paid because I, I do fine as a programmer. It's to have the money to pay out all the other artists who are helping. Yeah. And so I got to pay all these vocalists and guitarists yeah. and everybody that I'm hiring. And I need to hire 60 sets of them. <laughs> yeah. And, and so, you know, sort of going back to the question with this production or just being a dj did you sort of ever have a dream venue that you wanted to play that you wanted to have a set at um well actually i've already played it and it wasn't it wasn't one of my best sets but Mm -hmm. i have played my dream venue already which was lee's palace in toronto oh yeah yeah that's awesome that you've gotten the chance to play that you know, I would love to go back and play a much better set there sometime. Yeah, get a second chance. Um, yeah, because I know, like, I know, you know, plenty of artists or DJs that maybe they're smaller, independent, and they want the big dreams. They're like, yes, I would love to play, like, Madison Square Garden or whatever, like, the giant arena in their city is. But then I know people who are like, you know, I've played, like, you know, these small, like, 200-person venues, and those are my favorite. I love playing those, so anything like that. And so I think it is really, like, a personal choice, just whatever the artist likes more. So. Yeah. And and so, you know, do you ever, I, I guess it could be a Kickstarter also, but do you just have any project, song, anything like that of yours that you've released that's your favorite? My personal favorite song I've done is not one that seems to resonate with other people, but my personal favorite is All My Dreams Are Nightmares. Mm -hmm. Um, And is that because of, you know, the meaning or the effect on your life it had, or is it? Yes. Yeah. It was very much, um, it was very much a song that I wrote at like the, darkest place I'd ever been and so I kind of hold that one up as like the brick on the shelf that I just remember like it doesn't get any worse than this if you could survive all my dreams are nightmares you could survive anything um that said the song sort of like the ultimate victory for you what's that is it it sort of feels like you know the sort of like ultimate victory or like you like you're great like at a great 
uh, accomplishment for you that you overcame that. Yes, exactly. Now, the most successful song I've ever made, not counting the Magic the Gathering songs, um, is probably uh, the Mute City remix, which is simply a mm-hmm. remix of um, the title track from F-Zero. Mm-hmm. But it's my best video game remix, and it just slaps. And that's my number one track on Spotify. <laughs> yeah, well, I think it's great that, you know, you can use music in so many ways. You use it to build community use it to, you know, entertain your love for gaming, use it to, you know, address your mental struggles, your feelings, have, you know, these sort of emotions, like you say, on the shelf. Um, Those are all the questions I had for you today. Thank you so much for coming on. It's been a great conversation. Where can people find you online, find your music, find the new Kickstarter where Doom You Were Dancing, all of that, plug and promote all of that. Sure. Um, I'm down upright on uh every major service except for twitch where down upright was taken so there i'm down upright music um don't look for me on tiktok not on tiktok but i'm down upright on instagram facebook and twitter on linkedin i'm just bill boulder um i will be posting links to the kickstarter as soon as it goes live tomorrow at about 11 a.m um by the time you viewer are seeing this it should be live so a simple yeah it'll, it'll be live by the time people see this yeah a so, so go go support the kickstarter go listen to we're doing we're dancing or go um, support it i guess other than that uh you're always free to check out my older work as spruik although like i said um i am trying to distance myself from some of the earlier stuff because i've come so far mm-hmm. uh but um that's about it for finding me online. I just want to say thanks again for having me, Heroic. Yeah, no no problem. It's been a great time, and I'm glad that you know I sort of got the chance to talk to you, learn more about you, your music, your interests, all of that. So I'll leave a link to some of that stuff that you plugged down below. Go check out We're Doomed, We're Dancing, and I'll see you in the, or I guess I'll talk to you later, and any viewers, I'll see you in the next episode.